Well, folks, it's nice to see everybody gathered out, and we're just going to commence our service. Melanie, could you come and play, please? We're going to sing hymn number 513. 513, blessed is the service of our Lord and King. Precious are the jewels we may help to bring. Down the passing ages, words of counsel ring. He that winneth souls is wise. one of our deacons to lead us to the throne of grace and prayer. Sean, if you can lead us to the Lord. Let's all seek the Lord's face in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, for even putting the desire in our heart to come to the midweek service where we can make our petitions known before thee in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for 
every head bowed here tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless each family represented. Lord, as we're faces differ, Lord, we have needs in every family. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to a God that's able to meet the, the need of every single one in our midst tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'll just bless the work of this church. We thank you, Lord, for a pastor that loves thee and serves thee. We thank you, Lord, for the many ministries that is involved in. We thank you, even, Lord, for the ministries among the boys and girls in the school ministry. We pray, Lord, that you'll just bless and undertake in every aspect of these works. We pray, Lord, even tonight, you remember those who are sick among our congregation. Lord, there's many on the prayer list, too many to mention, Lord, but you know them, everyone. We pray, Lord, that you'll meet them at the point of their need. We pray even tonight, especially for Lydia. We ask you, Lord, that you'll just bless Lydia and Ryan at this time. We pray, Lord, as this trial has come upon them, we pray, Lord, that you will just undertake for them. Lord, you're able to meet every need for them. Pray too tonight, Lord, for those who mourn. We pray for the Conley family. We pray too, Lord, also for the Skelton family that has been diced into mourning, Lord, even this day. We pray, Lord, that you'll just bless and undertake for them. We pray too tonight, Lord, for Victor as he comes. We ask you, Lord, that you'll just be everything that you need, you need to be to him. We pray, Lord, that you'll remember him, Lord, every word that he needs to speak. We pray, Lord, that you'll bring everything to his remembrance. We ask you, Lord, that you'll just undertake for us now. We pray, Lord, whenever we leave this meeting tonight, we'll be able to say it was good for us to have been here tonight. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, Sean. We're going to stand to your feet again as we worship God. We'll be singing the hymn number 437. 437, where he may lead me. I will go, for I have learned to trust him so, and I remember it was for me that he was slain on Calvary. Great words in this old hymn. Let's sing it uh, to, the, to the might and the power of God.
give a warm welcome. A fellow always says a warm and friendly welcome, so maybe we better stay friendly too. Uh, to everybody gathered here tonight, and to those that are tuning in on Sermon Audio, Facebook, and YouTube, you're very welcome. It's a cool night out there, and it's good to see so many here tonight. Um, and we give a very special welcome to our brother, Victor. Um, Reverend Park is at the Christian Workers Training Academy in uh, Tandragee, and that's why I'm here, and that's why Sean was leading in prayer, and that's why Victor's here. So it's good to get a lot of different people involved, and we're looking forward to hearing Victor. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing him tonight coming to give uh, a word. Friday is a youth fellowship at 8 p.m., and it's our own pastor is coming to speak to the young people uh, there this week at the Youth Fellowship. So if we can plan to, if you're a young person, plan to attend to go to the Youth Fellowship. Saturday, just remember for those that can come in, there's a work day, there's a lot of tidying up, a lot of scraping and shoveling and sweeping uh, to be done around the premises. So if you can, uh, it'll be very much appreciated. And I think this is the on at nine, but if you can, maybe come in at eight. I think there'll be some folk in at eight. We tend to try and start, to start early and get finished early, so uh, between eight and nine is fine. And remember then the Lord's Day, starting with the early morning uh, prayer meeting at 8 a.m., followed by the Sunday school at 10.30, the Bible class at 10.45, and uh, there'll be a study there in the good guidance for Godly Living and James, and this time it's on happiness and sadness. And then the worship service is at 12 noon, uh, and the Reverend Park is returning to Mark's Gospel, and the title of his message will be Nothing But Leaves, so plan to attend uh, that worship service. And then there's a special service uh, at night, and we would like a good turnout. I know there's a lot of different people who are traveling from various congregations. This special service of uh, the ordination service of her brother Samuel Johnson, uh, who is becoming an elder in this congregation. The preacher will be our moderator, uh, the Reverend Samuel Murray. And that's at 7 o'clock. And that's the wee flyer that's gone out. Again, the supper will be served and remind the ladies, if they can, uh, please bring half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. Never go amiss. And then remember the ordination and installation service of our brother Jonathan's story as the minister of Mount Marion certainly encourages all our hearts to see Jonathan being installed there as the minister. And that's on Friday the 8th of March at 8 p.m. in the Martyrs Memorial Church. I think these are all the announcements. So just before we ask Victor to come, we're going to sing again the hymn number 557. When you feel weakest, dangers surround, subtle temptations, troubles abound. Nothing seems hopeful, nothing seems glad. All is despairing, even times sad. And then the verse goes on to say, keep on believing, Jesus is near. And how true that is, even for ones in our own congregation who are going through difficult times, this chorus can be such an encouragement to those believers.
also give us great privilege to be able to ask Victor to come and bring a wee word to us in the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, please, would you turn to uh, the Acts of the Apostles and to the chapter 18. Acts of the Apostles and the chapter 18. And we'll read the first 11 verses. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came on to them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Just let us come to the Lord in a word of prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, as we come into thy presence, Lord, we thank you that tonight we have the precious word of God open before us. We thank you for the word of God. And Father, we pray that and thank you, Lord, that it's able to teach us, Lord, there are many applications for us. We thank you, Lord, that it is indeed a living word. And tonight, O oh God, we pray that you would just be pleased to come. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased just even, Lord, to help me. Lord, take away all nerves. You know, Lord, my weakness in the flesh and my inability, Lord, even to be here tonight. But Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would even take these stammering lips, Lord, and I would be pleased, Lord, even just to have a word, Lord, even for those that would be gathered here. Lord, even speak to my heart. Lord, just be pleased to come and close in with us now, we pray. For in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So over the past number of weeks, I've been studying uh, the, book, or the book of Acts, and particularly the life of the Apostle Paul. And it's been a very profitable time for me in my study. And whenever the Reverend Park had contacted me a number of weeks ago, I'd been reading through the book of Acts. And this passage was a passage that I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart. And really tonight, I want to consider the Apostle Paul and just this particular case here when he comes to the city of Corinth. And really what I want to try and, and do tonight is really to cover three main themes. And just as the Lord leads these thoughts tonight, 
really just to consider, first of all, a transformed life from chief of sinners to the faithful follower of Christ. When we come to study a Bible character, and I love to study the Bible characters and to follow them through the Word of God, it's always good to go back and start at the beginning to understand the type of person that they were. And then tonight, then really to come, when he comes to Corinth here, and really see the trials and the opposition and discouragement that he had in the Lord's work, but to see that God's blessings keep coming in his life. And then finally, just to see a mighty word of reassurance from the Lord and to see that his timing is always perfect. So the first theme really is around a transformed life from chief of sinners to faithful follower of Christ. I often tell the young people in the junior Bible class when you come to consider some of the characters, it's always important to try and put yourself into the position of what it would have been like back then. Because sometimes we see things now with very different eyes. And I think when you think back to the Apostle Paul or when he was termed Saul of Tarsus back then, I'm sure the people that were there at that time, I would suggest that they would have found it extremely unlikely that this man would ever have been converted to Christ. Never mind become the great apostle that he did. Of course, he called himself the chief of sinners. So we know that there's no sinner too hard for the Lord. But let us look at some of the credentials just that he had in his life to see the kind of man that he was. And we read in Acts 22, there's some verses here that will get you to turn to, but, but, but not all of these here. I'll tell you the ones I think that are relevant, so we're not turning there all, all night, as it were. But in Acts 22 and verse 3, we read, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Paul was a pupil of Gamaliel. This man was a Pharisee, a doctor of the law. He was a man who was well regarded, held in high esteem by the Jews in the synagogue. And of course, as Paul was taught, or Saul of Tarsus was, put, was taught by Gamaliel, he came under great influence of the things that he was taught. But of course, he was taught, the Bible says, in the traditions of the fathers. Paul did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Back then, whenever he was taught, yes, he was maybe taught all of these wonderful things, as he, as he would say, about, the, about God and all of the things of the Bible. But he didn't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, died on the cross of the Calvary, and of Calvary, rose victorious over the grave to save fallen man. So by his birth and by his upbringing, here was a man that he no thought for God. Hard he was. But then as he grew older, we see here that he was also better or hostile towards the gospel. Turn back a few chapters to Acts chapter 8, just to see this type of man. Acts chapter 8 and the verse 3. And we read here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into the house, every house, and healing men and women committed them to prison. Paul had a real dislike, a real hatred of the children of God. He hated Christ. He hated the church of God. He had no time for him at all. And whenever we're first introduced to Saul of Tarsus in the Bible, it's a very disturbing scene because we have him there at that time when he's there whenever Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was being stoned. And what do we read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul consented on to his death. Can you see him standing there as this, as, as this man, this first Christian martyr, fell at his knees, nodding in agreement? 
This was what he was doing. So this is the man that we're first introduced to in the Bible. And there's much more we could say about the, of Saul of Tarsus. Suffice to say that one day, as he was on the road to Damascus, we read that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Here was a man, he was mad with rage. He was on a mission. He was going to Damascus. He knew there would be lots of Christians there, and he was going there. And he was going there because he wanted to persecute. That's what he was for doing. But you know, the Lord had other ideas. And as he was going down the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Almighty God. A sudden encounter with Almighty God. There was no warning. It was sudden. And you see, the Lord Jesus Christ reached down in his great mercy. And he saved this man that was termed the chief of sinners. What a wonderful God we have. Never forget that there's no sinner too hard for the Lord. There's not one. So you see, this encounter with God miraculously, miraculously changed this man who was once a persecutor of Christ and his church into a great, who had a great love for Christ and a fervent seal for his Lord and Master. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This regeneration and renewing, a new heart and a new spirit within the true believer can only be found in Christ. There's no other way. So this man was a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's two wee thoughts I want to finish with in this first point. And they're just two of the many things that we could say. I have no doubt, we all know that Paul was a born-again believer. No doubt about that whatsoever. He was a genuine believer. But he never took his salvation for granted. We often hear him saying in the Bible, don't we think of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He was a man who rejoiced in the Lord and the God of his salvation. And dear, dear believer tonight, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Have you that great joy deep down in your heart for, the, for Christ, God who gloriously saved you and wants you to rejoice in him? Not only did Paul rejoice in the Lord, but he now was a man with a burning desire to win souls for Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. This is a wonderful verse. This verse, this verse has really challenged my heart. Romans chapter 10 and the verse 1. Listen to this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This man here was a man who was greatly challenged and burdened for lost souls. And I ask myself tonight, myself, is this the type of Christian that I am? Is this the type of Christian that you are? Have we this same desire, this burning desire to be a soul winner for Christ? Is your heart not stirred by that? Is this not a challenge to your soul? We sung the hymn there. He that won the souls is wise in the home beyond the skies. There's a crown of glory, oh, the wondrous prize. He that won the souls is wise. So here we have a man who was completely transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man now on fire for the Lord. And this is a man that we see now all the way through in the book of Acts. Just to remember that, because when we come tonight to think of him, we have to think of where he had come from. And then we're going to consider now trials and opposition and discouragement in the Lord's work. When we go back into Acts chapter 18, where we had our reading tonight, there's a lot that has happened in the life of Paul ever since the time that he was saved. He is now coming to the end of a second missionary journey. And he had the privilege of leading many souls to Christ. 
He helped plant new churches, but of course he faced many trials and challenges and opposition. Now we read here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, after these things. What are these things? So the answer to the question is in Acts chapter 17. Just cast your eye over in your Bible there and look at verse number 5. So at this point in Paul's life, he was at the church in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And what do we read in verse, cha- or verse number 5 of chapter 17? But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took on to them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all this city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Now go on down to chapter, verse number 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Now go on down to verse number 32. This is just after Paul had spoken in Mars Hill. Verse number 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Another said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. You see, the apostle at this point in his life, time and time again, he was feeling dejected. He was feeling discouraged. And as he comes into the city of Corinth, note that he's alone. He's lonely. There's nobody with him. Of course, the Lord was with him, but physically there was nobody there. So this was a man who was greatly discouraged in his service for the Lord. And we know this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, he tells us, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The great apostle Paul, the one who was rejoicing in the Lord, the one who had a burning desire to see souls won for Christ, was greatly discouraged. What happens whenever we become discouraged? Do we want to quit? Do we want to give up? We say to ourselves, what's the point? Isn't that right? But God would say, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep on working. Sometimes in our own Christian life, and I'm sure we all have, we, we all have had this in our service for the Lord, sometimes we can become exhausted. We can become weak. And we can become weary. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe a, a family member. Maybe a wayward son or daughter. You prayed for them for years and years and years and they're not saved. And you almost feel like giving up on them. Or maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or a children's worker and you faithfully come each week and you bring the word and you don't see much for it. Or maybe some other circumstance in your life. Maybe some, maybe some challenge at home. Maybe something around work. Or maybe there's some valley experience that has come into your life and oh, it grabs your soul and your heart and your whole body with fear and anxiety. But God would say, child of God, don't give up. Keep on going. Keep on believing. Jesus answers prayer. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see, even though Paul was discouraged, I want you to see how God blessed him at this time. You see, when Paul arrived in Corinth in the midst of discouragement, he was alone. 
Now, I want you to think about this. He came from Athens to Corinth, 50 miles or so by foot. He was on his own. You imagine yourself into a strange city. He had no money. We're told he had no money because he had to go and work. He was lonely and he was greatly discouraged. So he came. And what do we see? We see the first thing we see here is that he found a certain Jew named Aquila. Now, here we see a wonderful picture of God's providence at work. You see, Aquila and his wife were forced out of Rome by Claudius. We read that here. So in those days, Claudius forced all of the Jews out of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla had to leave. And they could have went anywhere in the world. But they ended up in Corinth. Right at the very place where God needed them to be for Paul. And so, not only that, but we read here that Paul and, or, or Aquila and Priscilla, later on down the verses here, that they were believers. So God directed Paul here to this home. Can I leave just a wee verse of encouragement with you? Turn to Job chapter 23. And the verse 10. And it says there in that verse there, in Job 23 and verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What does gold remind you on? Purity. Gold. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Oh, I have no doubt that as Paul journeyed to Corinth, he was praying to the Lord, Lord, direct my steps. Direct me to some, to some Christians, to some place that I can go. And of course, Aquila and, and Priscilla, they opened up their heart and they opened up their home. And Paul was able to go in there. We talk, Mr. Park was talking about this in the Lord's Day. Opened up their heart and opened up their home for the preaching of the gospel. They took him in. They took him in. He was a stranger and they took them into to their home. But there's something else here I want you to see. If you look there at that verse number two that we read, you'll notice there that it says, and found a certain Jew. It doesn't say the other way around. It says, and found a certain Jew. You see, Paul had to put effort in. When he prayed that the Lord would give him somewhere to go, or a family and some companionship, some fellow believers, they didn't just fall out of the sky. He had to do something. He had to go and look. And that reminds me, I always remember my father-in-law, whenever he would have been praying in the church in Bushmills, he always, always would have used the phrase, putting legs to your prayers. Have you ever heard that? You probably have. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, putting legs to your prayers. You see, we often pray, and we should pray, for Faces, new faces, children to come in to the Sunday school or to the youth work. But we have a part to play. We need to go out and bring them in. Give out the invitations. God will direct us. We need to get up. We need to get out. We need to invite them to come in. Oh, Paul here was lonely. He prayed, but then he had to go and find Aquila and Priscilla. They were there because God had put them there, but they had to put the effort in. They had to put the effort in. 
And you know, sometimes loneliness can be a real discouragement to the Christian. And I say this because it can be, and sometimes we do feel lonely. And, and maybe there's someone here tonight, and you maybe feel a bit like this. You maybe feel lonely and discouraged. Well, of course we know that the greatest friend you ever could have is the Lord himself. But God created man that we would have fellowship. That's why he has the church, the body of Christ. And you see, the best advice that I can give to anyone is this. If you're feeling lonely as a Christian, get involved in the work. Get involved. By getting involved in the work, you meet other Christians. And you're able to get to know them. And you can come into the presence of those of like precious faith to fellowship with other believers. Because here we encourage and we strengthen each other. And maybe just as one or two young people here tonight, we talk about friendship, we talk about fellowship with other believers. I'm thinking here of your friends. Maybe you're, you're at school and you're going to the big school or maybe you're going to go to university or you're going to go off in employment or you're going to maybe find a husband or a wife later on in life. I say with all my heart, pray for Christian friends. Pray for a Christian partner. And then seek them out. Seek them out. You need to go and seek them. If you fellowship with those who are Christians, if you fellowship with those who are not Christians, you will get further and further away from Christ and closer and closer to sin. That's what the Bible says. But not only were Aquila and Priscilla fellow believers who opened up their home to the Apostle Paul, but they owned a business. They owned a tent-making business. And that was no coincidence because Paul, when he grew up, he was from the city of Tarsus. And of course, he was a tent maker. Because uh, the Bible tells us here, he was of the same craft. So he not only lodged with this couple, but he had the opportunity to earn some money. God makes no mistakes. It wasn't a coincidence. Even in the midst of all his discouragement, do you not see the blessings of the Lord here and friendship and financial provision? And you know, Paul, even though he was discouraged, it would have been very easy for him to sit back and say, well, I've got friends now. I've got some money. I'll just take it easy. But of course, he didn't because we read that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. We see his faithfulness to the work of God and his commitment. I want you to see this every Sabbath. Not just one Sabbath or every other Sabbath, but every Sabbath. Here, Paul would have worked during the week Worked hard earning some money. And then outside of this and on the Sabbath he was about the master's business. The word reason is an interesting word. And I looked this up in the dictionary. I thought I knew what it meant. But sometimes you don't know all of these things. But it really means dialogue. Okay. And this highlights to me that as well as being a highly capable preacher of the word. He was a rational man. Able to have a conversation. That demonstrated thought and fair argument. It doesn't give the sense of forcing the word or using emotion or using language that was too difficult. In fact, Paul confirms this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it says, And my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit and of power. Isn't this not what we still need today? Paul's message was clear and consistent every time he preached. What was it he preached? Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. There was no watered down gospel. There was no words that would please the ears of men. He preached Christ crucified. 
Some commentators would suggest when we think of his, of this, of his speaking here that he had a speech impediment. Uh, that may have been one of the thorns that, that he had at that time. But nonetheless, God had given Paul a great ability to preach the gospel. God has given you and me an ability. We may not be a preacher like Paul, but you have talent and ability for God. Sometimes we might think, oh, I don't think I could preach like him or I could, pre or I could pray like another brother or sister. But God doesn't tell us to look at somebody else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, what does Paul say? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't matter what talent or ability another brother or sister may have. It's not about them. It's not about you. It's not about me. God just wants us to give our all. He wants us to yield our life for him. Notice in verse 5 that when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, he was pressed in the spirit. Here was Paul now fully occupied and engrossed in the word of God, out preaching the word of God here. Because whenever Paul and Silas came, they brought gifts from the church that they were at, and he had no money to keep himself going. They brought greetings also from the other churches. Do you see a picture here of a man who's burning hot for the Lord? Do we see that? He was on fire for the Lord. His one desire to testify to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Is there not a word of warning here for the church, for the Christian, for the believer? Remember the church at Laodicea that God said was lukewarm? That makes the Lord sick, the lukewarmness. But spew thee out of thy mouth. God wants his church and his people to be hot for him. I think it's also important to mention here that whenever Timotheus and Silas came, they, they drew alongside him. That's important because I have no doubt that when they drew alongside him, Paul was a strengthened and encouraged in his own soul. Reminds me that this service that we are engaged in is not ours, it's the Lord's. And that being in the service of the Lord, I have to say, and you will know this here, it's not a one-man ministry. Sometimes you hear people saying about one-man ministry. It's not. The work of God is not a one-man ministry. I thank the Lord for the day that he established the Free Presbyterian Church. I thank the Lord for the day that he established this church and the day that he uh, brought our under-shepherd here to oversee the flock. But we can't all leave it to the minister. We can't all leave it to the minister. Are we not laborers together with God? We need to put our hands to the plough, like those, like those men did, working together in harmony. Silas and Timotheus were encouragers. Are we encouraged? Am I an encourager? Now, to see in verse 6 here that as Paul was fervently preaching the message of the gospel, look what happened in verse 6. It says there, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. Well, you know, there was opposition. When he was starting to preach the gospel, there was opposition. And as we seek to advance the Lord's work, we should not be surprised that there is opposition to the gospel. Men will not oppose all of the moral laws that we see in the land, all the things that happened in the schools. But the minute you preach the gospel, there's opposition. We see it around our open airs, all around the country. There is opposition. And really what it's saying here is that these men here, they set themselves in battle when the word was being preached. You see, when a Christian or the church of God is in fire or is in fire for God, there's always someone or something that comes along to try to put the fire out. 
It's always someone or something that comes along to try and pour the cold water over the fire. But you know, we're not in a battle. We are in a, we're in a battle as soldiers of the cross. What happens in the battle when the enemy tries to cross the enemy line? Doesn't the enemy seek to retaliate and to attack? Same for the Christian. When the work of Lord, when the work of the Lord starts to advance, seeks to win territory for Christ, the enemy attacks. Shouldn't be surprised. The old devil seeks to put the fire out. But for the child of God, the battle is not ours. It's God's. When the work of God advances and the enemy comes to put out the fire, we need to be on our knees. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, pour the oil of thy spirit upon us. Keep us in fire for him. You know, Paul here had reasoned to the point that he could reason no more in verse number six. And at that point, he said, look, I've had enough. I've had enough of the Jews in the synagogue here. And we read there that he went to the house of justice. He said there at the end of verse number six, and from henceforth I will go on to the Gentiles. So he went into a certain man's house whose name was Justice. I didn't fully appreciate this until I was really starting to study it. This man, Justice, was a Gentile. And it so happens that he was saved. God had saved him. Do you not see how the Lord was continuing to bless him here? He then left Left the synagogue. He was kicked out of the synagogue. How did he go out of the synagogue? Where did he go? Next door. See, he's the house next door. I'm sure that was a kick in the teeth to the people in the synagogue. That's where he went. Into the house next door. You see, when one door closed, God opened another door for the preaching of the word. God was telling Paul here, I want you to go and evangelize the Gentiles now. And to make it even worse for the people there in the synagogue, it says in verse 8, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. God was still blessing his ministry. God was encouraging him. Even though he faced fierce opposition from the Jews, God had a plan. God always has a plan. Do you believe that? God always has a plan. No matter what the situation is, God has a plan. But what's required of us, believer, we are trust and to obey and remain faithful. But then as we move into verses number, or verses number uh, seven, or number eight, or nine and ten actually, we see here that we're not really told specifically here in this particular account, but we believe God whenever he says about being afraid. Paul did allude, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I believe that at this point in his life, he was at the point of great despair. He was discouraged. He started to preach again. He was kicked out of the synagogue. He was back in preaching to the Gentiles. And I believe he was really feared, really, really afraid. Because these people were getting saved and the Jews didn't like it. And I think he was really, really afraid. I think he was overcome with fear, he tells us out there. So this mighty, fearless apostle, Paul, who had preached Christ in many different cities, led many people to Christ, planted many churches, was now overcome with fear. Dear Christian, isn't it true that one of the greatest barriers in our service for the Lord is fear? Isn't it? Maybe there's fear in the place of prayer. 
You maybe come to the prayer meeting and you really want to pray. And perhaps just as you're about to pray, fear grips your heart. Or fear that keeps you from attending maybe the public witness of the open air in case others would see you taking your stand for God. Or perhaps as a colleague at work or school or when opportunities come to say a word for Jesus, fear and trembling keeps your lips silent. Read in Proverbs 29 and 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Paul was at a really low point here in his life. And it says in verse 9 there, Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. I see a picture here of Paul lying in his bed, contemplating, meditating, and communing with God about the matter as to, Lord, should I continue here or not? Is this a place that you would want me to be? He's getting it tough. Where did this word come from? It didn't come from a preacher or any other believer. It come from the Lord. The Lord says, Paul, why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? What a word. Be not afraid. Those are mighty words from the Lord. Be not afraid to hear them from the very lips of God himself. Just when Paul needed a word, God provided it. God knows the work that we're engaged in because he spoke a word of comfort here to Paul. But he also said here, he also commanded something. He commanded here that Paul would say, or he was saying to Paul here, this is not a time to remain silent, Paul. No time to keep quiet. God wanted Paul to speak out with courage and with boldness, not to sit back with fear or to speak with caution. See, God still had a work for Paul to do amongst the people. The instruction was clear. We must apply this to our own service for the Lord. When those opportunities arise to speak to colleagues or friends or family members, the Lord will say to you, be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But God not only gives us his word of reassurance in this text here in verse number nine, an instruction to Paul, but the Lord goes further because we see the promise of his presence why was Paul not to be afraid? Well, very simply, God was with him. I can think of nothing more precious than to know the presence of the Lord in our lives. Sometimes think to myself when I see people and they're not saved and there's things happen. I often don't know how they manage. Don't know how they manage. But we can be sure of the presence of the Lord. That's a mighty thing to know, Christian. Remember the words, uh, if, you, if you turn back actually with me to, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 and verse 11. Exodus 33 and verse 11. And it says here in verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp, but the servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, the Lord, my presence shall go with thee. 
and I will give thee rest. What a wonderful promise. The presence of the Lord. But you know, Paul did not need to be afraid of speaking a word for Christ because God was with him. His promised his own divine presence. But he went a little further. The Lord did. Because you see there in, in verse number uh, 10 when it says, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. You see, here we see the protection of the Lord. God not only assured Paul of his presence, but his protection. Now, I want you to see this. God doesn't say that no man shall set on thee. He says, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. The thought here is that when we take a stand for the Lord and we speak up for him, we can expect those to be against us. In fact, if you read further on down to verse 12, it happens here, where, where, where he's set upon by the Jews. But it's very simple. They may oppose him, but God said, they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to hurt you. Paul knew that they could never hurt him because God had given him his word. We may make promises in good faith. Sometimes we're not able to keep them. We read in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall, and shall not make it good? As we finish the message here, I want to come to the very last piece of this verse. And it says here, for I have much people in this city. God had a people in Corinth that still had to be saved. I want to leave you with this thought of, and this word of encouragement with you. I believe God is saying tonight, for I have much people in Ballymoney. There's much people in Ballymoney. You know, this witness here in Hebron didn't come about by coincidence or chance or some other circumstance. No, this church was established here because God ordained it so to be. He did. And in this town and all this surrounding area here, the Lord has a people still to be saved. There are lost souls all around this church. God will give fruit for faithful ministry. How do we know this? I want you to turn just finally in the last portion that we'll read here in John chapter 10. Wonderful words of God to our hearts. John chapter 10 and the verse 14. And it says there in John chapter 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. And have known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen to this. And other sheep I have. Which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Dear child of God, as I finish tonight, perhaps you have become discouraged in your service for the King of Kings. This is not something that's unique to you. It's, unique, it's not unique just to you. We have many examples in Scripture. And many, many of God's people can testify to this. But the Lord still has a work to do. He still has a work to do. He still has a people to be gathered in. 
no matter what discouragement may come your way, I leave you with this challenge. Are you willing to give your all for him? To give of your very best to see his people brought in to his kingdom. Amen. thank Victor for bringing that very timely word. There certainly was a lot of instruction, a lot of encouragement, uh, and the Lord's promises and the Lord's word is, is a mighty source of uh, encouragement for each one of us in our times of need. We're going to sing a hymn, hymn number 430. Um, All the way my Saviour leads me what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith and him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well.
was saying about the goodly heritage that's been handed down to us in this church, men that went before us and took their stand, and our youth so important because they're going to be the, the committee men and the elders of the future. Just remember our young people, and I would encourage you, even every week, do come to pray, pray specifically for our youth. And if there's any young people here tonight, I would encourage you to pray as well, if, if, if you can. Just remember the uh, prayer requests that have been brought before us over this, the last few weeks. Uh, remember Lydia, remember Anne's story. Anne's got home, I was just talking to Raymond there. Um, just as the commencement of the meeting and still needs a lot of prayer as as quite weak yet and remember James and Margaret is in hospital Elizabeth especially uh, on the death um, even of her sister Maureen and just that she'd be comforted at heart and all the other ones on this list remember her brother Ernie too who um, has gone through a difficult time a faithful uh, warrior for God and I'm just Remember Helen and the family as well this time. Also remember, uh, most of you have probably heard that Mr. Tom Skelton, the uh, headmaster of Delriada, has went through a very difficult time in the last few days and uh, has been critically ill. Um, and the last we've heard um, just before we came to the meeting that he still needs prayer and although very, very critical and in hospital. Just remember the family too at this time. Um, very difficult time for them and a great shock to them. Um, so just if you continue to remember the Skelton family. Pray for Ukraine as we've always been brought to, even to this slide, to remember the land of Ukraine. And Sometimes we become even accustomed to that war and, it, and sometimes the media reports don't report on it as often as they used to, but just continue to remember the people there and, of course, the people that are here uh, with us in the church as well. And continue to remember to pray for Israel and that the Lord would intervene there and soon we would hear of peace even in that land. And so we say good night to those that have been tuning in. Thank you for being part of our service. Um, and we just, maybe if wherever you are, even at home, you can maybe continue to pray even for the work here and the furtherance of God's kingdom.